Good evening, everybody. Are we ready to praise the Lord? I have to say it again. Are we ready to praise the Lord? There we go. There we go. That's better. Moment there, I thought this church had nobody in it. <laughs> Amen. Um, just had a really good week this week. I just want to let you guys know that I'm praising God that He's just blessing me, and uh, I just praise God for that. And uh, I just want to uh, just welcome everybody to church tonight. Um, there's uh, people here that uh, haven't been here in a while. There's people here that come every week. I just want to tell you all that you're welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let me uh, read a verse, and we'll get into prayer, and then we'll get into some praise and worship. Amen? Amen. All right. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My, shall, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up. We'll pray and we'll start some praise and worship. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you tonight, Lord, and we just thank you. We thank you for this time that you give us. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the, the gift of, of our salvation. And Lord, tonight we just want to praise you and honor you and give you all the glory. Lord, tonight I pray that you would bless the praise and worship team, anoint them, and allow them to, to lead us into that sweet place. Lord, tonight we just want to worship you and give you all the glory. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, everything you're doing in our lives, Lord. I, I pray for those that are away from us for whatever reason, Lord. We just pray that you bring them back to us quickly, Lord, because we love them and we miss them. Lord, we just love you and praise you and honor you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stay standing. Shouted, you got me leaping. 
is good. And all the time. That's right. I love praising God with you guys. He has given us so much. And as we look over this last year, I mean, it's it's coming by fast. Seems like it goes by faster every year. But he is so faithful to us. And this, this next song is comes right out of the Psalms. I will give thanks to your name, Lord, for it is good. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. And when David wrote that, he was on the run. But he always had his trust in his Lord. And it doesn't matter where we're at, if we're feeling like we're on the run, or if we're leading, or if we're following, or if we're just kind of floating along. We can trust in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.
be praised. Not just because of what you've done, but because of who you are. Lord, you are our sustainer. You are our provider. Lord, you love us beyond our comprehension. Man. And you'll never stop doing that, Lord. Blessed be your name.
display for all to see. You are light, you are light. When the darkness closes in, you are hope, you are hope. You have covered all my sins. You are peace, you are peace. When my fear is crippling, you are true, you are true.
praise your name.
thank you. We thank you that we can call you ours. Our Lord, our God, our Savior, our King and our friend. Lord, where would we be without you? Lord, we cry out for you tonight. Lord, we just ask that we would be one. Bind us together, Lord. Let us praise you as one voice. Lord, let us serve you as one body. Let us follow you as one heart. Lord, we thank you so much. Whether now or then, death is not my end. I know what heaven waits for me. Though the road seems long, I'll never walk alone. I've got all I need to see.
bless your name tonight, O Lord. Let that be our heart's cry. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. We thank you so much for your great love, your mercy, and your compassion upon us. Lord, be with us this time. Lord, that our praises would be acceptable before you. You alone are worthy. We thank you so much. We ask that you would be with us tonight, Lord, that our hearts would be open before you to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I got a news flash for everybody. Hot off the presses. And it's something you got to watch out for. And I got to watch out for. Some of you might have heard of this before, but just in case you didn't, I thought I'd bring this news flash to you tonight. There's a tempter out there, and he wants to ruin everything we can do for the Lord. Every single thing. He's ugly, he's vicious, he's terrible. Some of us even feel it on a daily basis. I'd be amazed if not all of us feel it on a daily basis. But on the other side of that news flash is another news flash. We just sang about it two minutes ago. We have something on the inside of us. Huh. The creator of heaven and earth is on the inside of us. And if that ain't a news flash, I don't know what is. I just couldn't get it out of my mind when you were doing that song. He's inside of us. That devil, he doesn't quit. You know, you're supposed to say things good about everybody. Well, you can even say something good about the devil. He's no quitter. He's consistent. <laughs> Consistently bad, but consistent. <clears throat> We're not even consistent. But you know who is consistent? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the creator of the universe mm -hmm. who is inside of us. I got a verse for you. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, we have the creator of the universe inside of us. We have his spirit inside of us. Hmm. But we still have the flesh. The devil is not brave enough to attack the spirit. He tried that once, and he lost. <laughs> Dreadfully. Permanently. End of story. But that doesn't mean he gets to give up on our flesh. And as long as we're in this flesh, that tempter is going to come after us, especially if we try to serve the Lord. There was a song back in the 70s by the Imperials, one of my favorite groups back then. It was called I Got Confidence. 
And three of the lines in there, it says, I don't worry. I don't fret. God has never failed me yet. And I defy anybody in this room to tell me that God has ever failed them. I don't believe it. I won't believe it. He's never failed me. But on the other hand, I've failed him. Watch and pray, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Does that sound like a request? That, my friend, is a commandment of the God of the universe who lives inside of us. Because he's willing to help us in every way. Even though we have that weak flesh. Let us pray. Father, we come before you tonight very humble. Very open to you. Touch us, Lord, each and every one. In the way that each one of us needs it individually. Speak to us. Let us hear from you in the way that you feel best to reach us so that we hear you and know you are there. Tell us how to serve you best. Show us how to serve you best and give us your strength, your faith, your joy, your peace, your rest to help us serve you that your perfect will may be done in everything we say and everything we do. We pray for the congregation here and the ones that couldn't be here. We pray for those that are not feeling well or sick or have injuries. We pray for Deb on the road tomorrow, that she'll have safe traveling mercies home and that she's having a great time and rest. We pray for each individual here. We pray for each need. You know every need, Lord. Every single one of them, you know their needs and you know my needs. You know what's best for us. We don't. Help us to accept what you choose for us because we've given our lives to you and they are no longer our own. They're yours. And we will stand on your promise to give us peace and rest. Bestow us with your blessings, Lord, and we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, Brother John. One of the things that I've been thinking about just a few minutes ago was as we sang in that last song, we talked about no prison walls can keep me. It's going to be my first new year being outside the wall. And I just praise God for that because I also know and I can tell you that even when I was behind the wall, I was still free because the Lord tells me in his word that what he makes free is free indeed. And I praise God that I'm free and I pray tonight that you are too. Amen? <coughs> Amen. Well, let's get ready to, to invite our brother Sekou to come and break the bread of life for us. And um, 
During this week, I'm preparing to move, and so my joke book got misplaced. So I've got one, but it's not very good, so you're just going to have to put up with it. So I have a question for you. What generation was Forrest Gump? Gen A. <laughs> and now the majority of the congregation is wishing for the joke book back. <laughs> Um, you know, it is, it is very humbling to get to stand up in front of people and speak, especially this congregation. Um, and the more you remove that separation, um, the more you realize that we're just brothers and sisters that are helping and serving one another. Um, I got interviewed Thursday. It was very interesting. Um because he said, I have five questions for you, and so I go through the questions. Where am I from? You know, what you guys will end up reading about it at some point. But one of the things he said was, if you don't call yourself pastor, he's like, what, what do you call yourself? Uh, and, and I had to think about that one. So the rest of the questions I could answer pretty easily. You know, what are you afraid of? Bees, e easy to answer that question. I am deathly afraid of bees. But... When he said, what do you call yourself? I says, I call myself Brother Seku. It's just, you know, uh, and he reminded me of that. Not that I call myself pastor, but other people do. And I don't have no heartburn against that. But I have seen where the separation can happen. And one of the things he reminded me of is, you know, he says, I'm always saying a shepherd should smell like the sheep. You know, when they went into Jerusalem uh, shepherd, or to Bethlehem, shepherds weren't well liked because they smelt like sheep. <laughs> it was considered a lowly job. But yet, over and over, um, it equates leaders to shepherds, and not just New Testament. David, shepherd, became one of the greatest leaders in Israel. Moses, what was his uh, profession when he was on the run? He was a shepherd. So it seems like God does a lot with people that... Uh, other people tend to look down upon or whatever the case may be. That's just the way he is. But it's, it's especially in this iteration, you know, Monday, that was a blessing to be able to have a cookout, hang out, um, watch some people try to DJ. It was awesome. We even got video. <laughs> um, barbecuing and just, you know, the only thing that was missing was dominoes. Um, but maybe there's a good reason for that. But it was it was good because it's... It wasn't separation. It was brothers together just enjoying Christmas. Wasn't nothing fancy. Was it perfect? No, but it was our first time in the 10 years that I've been in this ministry of us trying to do something like that. And for those that didn't have family to go to or whatever, and some even had family to go to, they still came down. But for those that, you know, did not want to be alone on Christmas, they could come down and play cards, talk, be on their cell phones, um, watch people dance, you know. But, I mean, we had a great time. It was, it was awesome. And none, no, there was no separation. It was like the scripture says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There was no titles. And I don't even like titles. I, I read a book about... Um, Jesus preferred towels to titles, and I think that is very, very apt. You serve. 
Let another man praise you in the gate. And what I saw that day and what I'm seeing a lot of in this congregation is just the heart to serve and to bless and to help out one another. And that's a very uh, wonderful thing to see and not common, unfortunately, in Christian circles because we live in a society that everybody's doing their own thing. So to think that the, the world would consider least is learning how to be true brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's an awesome thing to be a part of. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3. Um, and since somebody is yelling at me about titles, uh, what are we looking forward to? Yes, you could, you could write it down in case I don't put it on the file. But what are we looking forward to? Uh, this time of the year is, is <laughs> it kind of bugs me because you kind of, as, as somebody who preaches, get stuck in the new cycle sermon around this time. And that there's going to be a new cycle and this, this new beginning January 1st. And I used to sit down and privately ask myself the question, when did God start using the Gregorian calendar? I mean, <laughs> Old Testament, everything's lunar. Even really around the time of Christ, everything is lunar. Everything is based on the moon. All the seasons, all the holidays, everything that they do is based on the moon. And all of a sudden, now God has gone to the solar calendar. You know, but that's neither here nor there. We get around this time of the year of thinking that the cycle begins, that we're starting 2024 and we're entering into 2024 with this new cycle. Thing is, our cycles in Christianity are not locked into a physical date. They're not locked into January 1st. They're locked into when God moves. So it would be a lot better to recognize when God is moving than try and say God moves on January 1st. The IRS moves on January 1st. God moves when he chooses to move. And it's up to us as sheep in this pasture to move when he says move, both corporately and individually. But around this time of cycles, whether it's in the church or whether it's in our personal lives or in the world, we all prepare for this one tradition that is kind of like is worse than April Fool's. But we go for this one tradition every year around January 1st, and we call it New Year's resolutions. Very few of us ever follow through with the New Year's resolution to the beginning of the next year after that. For 365 days, I don't think I've met but maybe a handful of people that have kept maybe one or two of those New Year's resolutions for the entire year. Most of them go by the wayside come January 15th. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get more serious about my job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, nah. And after, you know, so many weeks, that New Year's resolution goes by the wayside. And so what we're training ourselves to do is to kind of live up to the status quo that everybody else is living up to and then do the same thing that the people around us do. Declare what we set out to do in this brand new year and then not do it. <laughs> but let me ask you a question as a Christian. The new year sparks New Year's resolutions. Whether you do them or not, that's your business. But have you ever thought about, well, did you ever make a resolution when you had a new life? Did you ever sit down and say, as a new 
creature in Christ. And as, as a new beginning that is happening in my life, I need to resolve or solidify or set a direction and say, I'm going to stick with this until I see it to fruition. A new life resolution. And it's important for us to do that because like my dog and like us as kids, when we're young, we tend to get focused on one thing. We just want to go as far as we can get. There's no boundaries, no borders. My dog chews up the couch. Most of us have kids, do all sorts of things. And, and really, there's no set direction. As Christians, we're in Christ. Great. <coughs> now what? Well, what do we do now? Well, there is discipleship. That sounds boring. Well, I want to explore this new life, and what are we doing? And so we don't learn the discipline to stay disciplined later on. We just sort of get into Christianity and go wherever and then wonder why we lack the fortitude to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Or we wonder why we don't have the reverential prayer life that we should. Or we wonder why we keep going through these mountains and valleys. But when we start off as new creatures and somebody comes along and doesn't just say, let's make Christians, let's make disciples, we start being trained and understanding what it is that God requires of us. And not only that, but why? We often have come out of a past, most of y'all should have turned to Second Peter by now. <laughs> We've come out of a past, a lot of us is very legalistic, dogmatic, and some of it has been, quite frankly, you need to come to Christ or you're going to hell. Okay? So we're running from hell to heaven. And then what? You know what they call that in dating? That's a rebound. <laughs> you're upset with homegirl or homeboy, and so you, 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 you break up with homegirl or homeboy, and then you still need to fill that space, so you run to, but really you're running from, and then you end up with something that's, you don't know what. You just need to be somewhere. That's not how God has called us. Don't go to hell. You need to be somewhere. But he called us with a purpose. He called us out of his love. He called us with a set guide for our life, something he intends for us to do that is far greater than everything that we could accomplish on our own. And often we're just running from hell. So let's turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Gave you guys enough time to get there. And we're going to be reading 8 through 18. And if you're there, say amen. amen. I don't want to say if you're not there, say amen, because I'm going to have to ask some questions later on. Let's all stand in honor of reading God's word. The Bible says, verses 8 through 18, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, 
look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and as we gather together in this time, we also thank you for your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and we pray that your spirit speaks through us and to us from your word in whatever is said in this room today. Let it be by your direction and your guidance. Let it edify us both spiritually and within our soul. Let it resonate so that we understand, we can grow, and we can not only live according to it, but go out and share it with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit out of 2 Peter 3, 8 through 18, a little bit in the time that we have. Um, and there's three things that we're going to look at. Three. Number one is based on verses 8 through 10. In those verses, he says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will become as a thief in a night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. This part of what, P, uh, what Peter is writing to his readers is reminding them that God is still in charge. God is still in charge. Even in this day and age, when this epistle was written, there was a common saying of, well, where is this God that you Christians were all so gung-ho about? When is the sign of his coming? When, when is he coming back? And if you read in Acts and several of the early epistles, they lived as if Christ were coming back immediately. Like, he was only gone for a year, but he's coming back at some point. Like, that was their lifestyle. And after a while, the people watching him kind of get caught up in the hype of the church. Christ is coming back. There's this big mass movement. Everybody's got to get ready, get ready, get ready. Year two. Christ is coming back. Yeah, yeah, you said that last year. Year three. Christ is coming back. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is starting to sound like a broken record. This is not unlike when Noah was saying, hey, I'm building an ark, get in, it's going to rain. For 140 years, people are like, well, what is rain? Why do you, what is a boat? What do you mean this is, nah, we're good. Oh, you're still building that boat 10 years later? I got, nah, we're good. Oh, 50 years later, you're still building the boat? Like, where is this rain? Are you sure you're okay? And Noah didn't succumb to that. The early church didn't succumb to that. And as with Noah, eventually the rain started falling and people realized, wait, Noah wasn't playing. But by that point, it was too late. 
What did Jesus say the last days were going to be like? And he says, go and look at Noah. Because a lot of people will eat and drink and do whatever they want to do, thinking that, oh, we got time. And then at the end of, of, of all things, when they see Jesus coming in the clouds, um, like the famous line in the movie, they're going to be told that's where you messed up. I won't tell you what movie that came from because I don't want you guys going to watch it. <laughs> but you know at that point you had waited way too long and Christ came back and all of a sudden now trouble is coming. Paul and Peter is warning the people who are reading this not only for themselves but for the people around them. Number one, do not take God's goodness for weakness. The goodness of God leads us into repentance. It's the goodness of God why some of us aren't dead in this very moment. If you read the book of Revelation in one area, he gave somebody who needed to repent space to repent, and they didn't. And their actions were very destructive. We don't know when God says enough is enough, but we can get very callous as Christians even to say, you know what, nothing's happened so far, I'm good. Nothing's happened so far. I'm good. And then you just stop worrying about it. Well, think about the world that doesn't even have that consciousness. They're looking at us thinking we're crazy because we meet on Christmas, because we're meeting on New Year, because we're doing prayer meetings, because we're running to the church, because we're looking for something that's coming and keeping ourselves vigilant of that. And the world is like, well, you know, in the 80s, people were saying Jesus is coming, and he didn't. In the 70s, Hal Lindsey was all over the airwaves saying Jesus is coming, still not here. Mary Baker Eddy, Ellen White, all these people talking about Jesus is coming, and it's going to be on this date, and all of them were wrong. And at this point, then they're going, we're good. We're fine. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. And they may not realize it, but what it is doing is taking God's goodness for weakness the bible says he doesn't count slackness or it's not slackness towards him like we would look at it as slackness god isn't lazy if he holds back his hand it's for our benefit it's out of mercy and so it's up to us not to get carried away with the world and think that we can uh relax on our what's the word sense of urgency but to actually remain vigilant. Because the second half of these verses, 8 through 10, says, Behold, the Lord will return how? As a thief in the night. How many of y'all have ever been had a home that's been broken into? And you didn't know it was coming. You weren't expecting it. You didn't put it on your calendar and say, you know, I'm going to get ready to get robbed. Like none of that ever happened. I've been robbed while walking. I was set up, me and my brother, walking, and never realized that somebody was going to set us up and bring a gun to our face. It was bad timing, bad coincidence, bad everything. You don't, pre you don't prep for that. It happens. And so the church can't get lulled into I got time because he, if he's coming back in the thief in the, as a thief in the night, nobody's getting any advance warning of this whatsoever. Nobody. And if it's that way towards us, then the world is just absolutely going to miss out. There will be a surprise visit. And as Christians, we're vigilant, we should be vigilant to look forward to that surprise visit, and it shouldn't be a surprise when we see it. We know he's coming. 
The question is, do we live up to that knowledge? And what are we doing as far as right now? And that leads into verse 11. In verse 11, now it starts talking about what we should do because of how God is and how God is coming. Therefore, the therefore is there because of what we read before. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Holy conduct and godliness. That's not Sekou saying that because I have my moments. And some of y'all remind me I still have some rough edges to my sense of humor. So I have my moments. But the question comes to all of us, knowing that he's coming like a thief in the night, knowing that out of his mercy, he is waiting until the until a moment he designates, what are we doing on our end? The first thing it says is holy conversation. That doesn't mean speaking. Actually, holy conversation in the biblical sense means conduct. So your conversation as far as your words and your conduct, your holy conduct. I won't even ask how many people think that their conversation or conduct has been holy in the course of the week. I know where some of us, uh, I know where I used to work and some people that still work there. It's very difficult to have holy conversation in that place. <laughs> but when it comes to our surroundings and our lifestyle and all the things that we're doing, could we look back and say that we've made a conscious effort as much as possible to say, I'm going to live separate from the world and live according to God. And I'm not saying that to make everybody go, ooh, I feel bad. But what I am saying is look how easy it can be to get so caught up with the ways of the world that you stop thinking about holiness, you stop thinking when the Lord is coming, you stop thinking about your walk because you're inundated with all the things going on that the world is doing. You wake up, watch the news, and that plays on in your head more so than the devotion that you read. You go out to work and more people are talking about the latest movie that came out or how Twilight is going to make a new movie, which I hope they don't because I didn't watch the first ones and it's not my style. But they get the rapture, they're just enraptured with talk of the world's ways. And it seems foreign to us, but for us to get along with the world, what do we do? Yeah, I watch the Bengals and the Cardinals play. We start capitulating to their conversation instead of remaining in ours. Does that mean you can't talk about football? No, because Blake tries to talk about football, but I don't want to hear what he has to say because him and Otto, all they talk about is the Cowboys. But still, at the end of the day, there's nothing. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. There's nothing wrong with the, the football per se. What I'm saying is when the world's ways start to dilute your ways. And you stop focusing on God and start focusing primarily on what they focus on. And instead of being who we are supposed to be, we become somebody that tries to fit in. Holy conversation is towards creation. Godliness is towards God, primarily. But holy conduct, holy conversation, all the things that we do, that is towards creation. What is creation? Man. Women, the, the, the earth, 
all of these different things. Look, you say, well, how does holiness work towards the earth? There are some laws in Judaism. It is warm in here. There are some laws in Judaism that most people would go, why in the world would they put that in there? And I spent time looking at the Torah and going, why did this get put in here? And learned some things. Like, for instance, in the King James, it says you should not take, um, well, I won't use their word, but basically a mother bird and the baby bird out the nest and cook them both together. Take the egg, let the mother be. Or do not boil a calf in its mother's milk. Cook the calf separate. Don't disrespect those things which are given their life for you. Or don't completely wipe out something because of your greed. So while it seemed like a commandment that didn't make a lot of sense, it was a commandment to teach man to respect the creation that he's over. So when we look at holiness, it's not just do I wear the long sleeve shirt and the collar, no makeup and all that stuff. And I'm not, you know, I, I come out of that tradition, so I'm not knocking against holiness in certain Pentecostal circles. But what I am saying is we can get caught up in appearance but not in behavior, not in conduct? Are we showing godly respect towards even our pets when they chew up the couch? <laughs> I mean, I say that in jest, because most of y'all know I have this, this little pit bull puppy, but by the same, well, not puppy, but by the same token, there is a level of responsibility that we have to show God's character even towards our pets our horses, the things that are entrusted to us to watch over. Because the whole earth is still under subjection to man, even if it's in corruption. So we ought to be <coughs> holy in our conversation towards the creation, the people around us, the animals, the things that God has given us a steward over. Why? Well, number one, it is important to our witness most of us know going to work, and we start talking flim flarm filth and all this other stuff that goes on. How many of our coworkers go, aren't you a Christian? And they're, they're, they may not, you know, they may not say I agree with you or whatever, but they sure are looking at just how we carry ourselves at work. When I was a manager, Jimmy used to always get on me because when I got fired up, I'd get fired up uh, because I dealt with some hardheads. And so there was, Stuff got broken sometimes. I mean, things happen. And the whole time, like if, if when Jimmy was around when our meetings and I was upset, Jimmy would just give me a look. Like he wouldn't say, say, cool, come on now, remember who you are or anything like that. Jimmy would just give me that look. And I would look and see him and go, okay, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I am way out of character right now. I am letting the world conduct my conduct more so than my faith and my new man conduct my conduct. By the grace of God, there are still people from that environment, some of them that don't even work there anymore, that will still call out to me when they have a spiritual question. Because while they had seen me act wild, they also seen me as a human being who loved God. And they understood the stress. They understood, you know, that, okay, Sekou is out of character today. But they understood who I was despite some of the messiness that I had while I was at work. And so if they have a question, Sekou, do you think the world's going to end or this, that, and the other? Like, they will call me because they're still looking. 
And they realized that they didn't see a perfect person on the job, but they saw somebody who was trying to hold on to the perfect one as much as possible. And so when we walk like that amongst our peers and amongst the people around us, even if it's a sloppy witness, it's still a witness. Because if you go in callously and say, I can drink and do this, that, and the other, cuss and act a fool, all in the name of Jesus, then they're going to look at you like that don't ring true. But if they see you try to live up to who it is you're supposed to be, by the same token, you have your moments, they say, okay, well, he ain't perfect, but he's real. And in some ways, more so than the other, they keep coming back to you wondering, why is it that you hold on even though the struggle is real? It's your witness. By the same token, also, it is our conduct in what we share with what God has given us. The Bible, uh, when Jesus talks about the prayer model, he says, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who is the one that does the will on earth? We do. We do. So when we walk and serve out of holy conversation, that means that I'm not coming to Kevin to serve him out of my worldly conversation and think that's going to get spiritual results. It's only going to get worldly results. But if I come to him with uh, speaking out of the spirit and as a new man, the only thing that it's going to reap is a new man or spiritual results. That's the only thing that's going to... If, if I... Look, if Chris is crying and he's having a bad day, you know... Um, the bears just absolutely have no chance, and so he's just feeling miserable. And I come to him and I go, yeah, but you're still not getting Kyler Murray. You know, at that point, at that point, how is that really helping him? And I'm saying that as a joke, but... <laughs> you're still not getting Kyler Murray. But if he's sad about whatever's going on with his football team, I can speak flesh with them and joke with them and try and rub salt in the wound or I could say you know what the world is much bigger than what's causing you sorrow let's open up your eyes so that you can see the world around you and see that God loves you even though your bears don't <laughs> I, I wouldn't pick on the Packers because Steve would get me so um, but on earth as it is in heaven so we serve out of that holiness we benefit other people when we come to them out of our holy conversation and our holy conduct. By the same token, then it says in holy conversation and godliness, and godliness is towards the creator. The word esubia means piety. Uh, it is our reverence towards him. There's a, there's a scripture in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, it says, be ye imitators, of course, King James, but be imitators of God imitators it actually says that the word is uh, uh, comes down from a word which means mimic I told y'all about my kids once uh, they would mimic the older people in the church and my daughter Kiara she uh, <laughs> we, we would come home and she and a couple other kids they were in the kitchen and Kiara was preaching that's my middle child she was preaching and her sermon she's Keep in mind, she's like six around this time, five or six. Her sermon, the cheese is on the counter. 
and she is slamming the counter. She is preaching about the cheese is on the counter, and she's shouting, and the kids are speaking in tongues, and they're yelling, and they're shouting like little Pentecostal kids, and they're not even kindergartners. They were imitating us because that's what they wanted to be like. What are we created to be in the image and likeness of God? So it is not robbery for us to imitate God. Now, let me say something for people think, oh, we're going to have a God complex. We are not gods. That was the lie that got us in trouble in the Garden of Eden. But we are created to be in the image of God. So when creation saw man and man and woman, they would see the pinnacle of God's creation and be able to see God through who he had to steward the earth. As a new creature in Christ, not only are we expected to live like Christ did, but we also have the very nature being implanted on the inside of us. And instead of going and looking into the world to say, I need to be more like you, we look to our creator to say, you created me to be like you, Help me to be more like you intended for me to be. When God called out to Adam in the garden, he says, Adam, where are you? One of the subtexts of that is, Adam, where is the Adam that I created? Because what's standing before me in fear, what's standing before me having believed a lie, that is not something I created in my image, what happened here. And so now we have the opportunity to hear the voice of the Lord and the coolness of the garden walking during the day, and instead of running and hiding, we can turn around and say, yes, Lord, here am I. You say, well, what about my faults and all the problems that are going on? Yes, Lord, here am I. Because he who created a good work in me will finish it unto the, or com complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will keep working. So I don't go to God thinking I have to be perfect in order to approach the throne. If I realize there's an issue, I approach the throne. Even if he slays me, yet shall I live. That's the confidence I have towards God. I don't have to be perfect. He's perfecting me. All I need to do is when there's an issue, when there's a problem, when there's a roadblock, I need to put my hands down, get on my knees, and go back to my father. Ray, uh, Kevin, Kevin Ray, Kevin, he, he said once when I was going through um, a trial about that very same daughter, uh, years and years and years later, he says, you know, I'm glad to see this. Not glad for your circumstance, but glad to see that you are human. And I told him and I told Dennis Rice and a couple other people, I says, you know, it's not that I'm some spiritual giant. It's not that I'm some big person in God and I'm Elijah or on the same line as Moses or any of that. Maturity for me is to learn how to fall into the arms of the Lord faster when opposition arises. When I'm younger, oh, I got this. Where's them demons at? I got this. Where's that issue at? I got this. Oh, Jesus, help me out. Oh, what's going on? As I got older, hold on a second. Lord, uh, there's a situation popping up. I start resorting to going to God first <laughs> a lot faster than thinking I got this. In all things, you know what? Let me seek the Lord first. Oh, you know what? I get that. Let me seek the Lord first. Am I as crazy to go in the fries and go shopping for collard greens and go, hold on a second. 
Lord Jesus, which of these collard greens should I buy? No, I'm not quite at that point. But if I'm going to make a major decision, guess who I should be involving? If I'm going to run into a trial, into an opposition, in order for me to do that, I first need to submit unto God. Surrender unto God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Most of us try to resist the devil without submitting unto God. But when he calls us towards piety, is I'm living towards him. When issues come up, I turn to him. When I start speaking the same as my father speaks, the adversary has nothing to tempt me with, nothing to fight against me with, and he will have to leave for a more opportune time. We are influenced by what we consume. And so Second uh, Peter chapter 1, I'm at the run. But I do want you to see this. Second Peter chapter 1, so you don't have to turn too far. Verse 2 through 4 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our, of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us things, all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, or by which have been given to us, exceedingly great and precious promises. <laughs> that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Not just observers, partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know how many other creatures in the Bible or things that God created that God says, come here, let me share my divine nature with you? None. Mankind. That's it. The Bible in Hebrew says, and read it, it says that to which angel, which one, Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer, any of them, which angel, fallen or steadfast, at any time did God give assistance to? But he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. He created angels for a purpose, and what he gave them, that's what they got when they roll into battle. But when you roll into battle, he says, I'm giving you my nature. I'm giving you of who I am to fill the vessel that's created in my image. That's powerful. That's potent because that is exactly what we are created for. We're created for relationship. And we're created to represent the one we're in a relationship with. And so since we know he's coming, instead of showing the world that we're trying to be in relationship with them, we should be showing the world who we're in relationship with that is coming. And they are open and welcome to enjoy the same relationship if they bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's all of us. Despite our past, despite what we've been through, despite what's going on, each and every one of us, and that's a hard thing to say in this church because we have a lot of, mm, mm, mm. somebody can interpret that. You can put whatever you want there. I'm pretty sure y'all have the interpretation. We got, mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, somebody can say, you know, Chris, I love you. And he's like, yeah, right. He doesn't mean that. 
We have a hard time accepting love. We have a hard time accepting redemption. We have a hard time accepting forgiveness. We have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And so when we hear that God is sharing his nature with us, we're like, well, I'm just glad I'm saved. It's almost like we're limiting ourselves. <laughs> y'all been on farms. Y'all seen enough about farms. Most of y'all have even seen chicken run. If you're seeing a bald eagle in the middle of the dirt field with the chickens pecking around for corn and worms, you would look at that bald eagle and say, something is wrong with this picture. We got one retarded bird. Something ain't right. That bird doesn't know who he is. And so he's settling to live like something he's not. And we fall into the same trap. We're a bunch of eagles that think that we should live like chickens. And so we peck around in the dirt for whatever we can scrounge up instead of flying and being able to see like our father called us to see so that we can actually obtain the things he called us to obtain. I, I want you to, I know we need to quit, so I want you to have that picture in your head. The next time you think, well, why do I feel like I'm not accomplishing what God has called me to accomplish? Well, are you walking like this? Yeah. And are you pecking the dirt, looking for things where you're at, instead of soaring by his grace and looking for the things that he is showing you? There is a big difference. You're not called to be a chicken. You know what happens to chickens? Kentucky Fried, Churches, Popeyes, Richard's House. You become an experiment. You know what happens to eagles? I've never met a person who tried to fry an eagle. <laughs> they weren't meant for saucepans. <laughs> you were created to have relationship with God. And knowing what is coming, looking forward to what is coming, you don't make resolutions to try and make life better where you're at. You make determinations and commitments based on what is coming and based on what you have where you're at right here. You say, my father is coming. Uh, this world isn't great. I can enjoy it, but I'm not stuck here. I'm not settling for what's here. Because I know that all this will burn up. So why am I investing so much time trying to pour myself into this, that, and the other instead of saying, you know what? My resolution is to look for the coming of my Lord. And while I'm here, I will enjoy the things that are here. But I know that the things that are here are temporary and there's far greater coming when my Lord comes to call me in the clouds. And all of this burns, all of this drowns, all of this goes away, but the kingdom does not. And when we stand with the Lord Jesus, when he has a new earth and a new heaven and everything that would cause misery, pain, affliction, woe, and suffering is now gone, is now bound in chains, is now done away with with the sore hip is gone the frail body is gone cancer is gone the destructiveness of man is gone all that is left is the reigning sovereign king and his kingdom living in righteousness and true holiness and true joy then God come quickly because I'll be here until you call me but I am not attached to here I am attached to where you called me I'll close with this. 
since we got to move on. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you invest your time in tells on what you consider important. Do you, <laughs> I probably should hide when I say this, but do you play Nintendo more than you study your Bible? Or Xbox? Or PlayStation? Or whatever, whatever exists now? Do we spend more money on cosmetics and toys than on the kingdom? Do we invest our time more so in trying to keep up with the Joneses and live life happy as we can here or investing in the kingdom knowing that we're investing in eternity? What really matters to us as Christians? If we make resolutions, we should make resolutions to go back to what matters, to seek out our first love, to go back to saying, I'm going to invest in what matters. I am going to live as if Jesus Christ is coming back today. I'm going to plan as if he's not coming back for another 20 years. In other words, it doesn't excuse undisciplined living. It just means we go back to having that sense of urgency that every moment could be the moment and I'm ready to step into that moment no matter what. So I'm not attached to things. I'm not attached to the world. I'm not attached to all these things that would hold me back. I am laying aside every sin and every weight that would so easily beset us in order to be ready when my Savior calls because what he has called me for is much better than what I am being called out of. Don't be caught up with the trends of the world, but be content with such things as you have and be prepared because more so than the people around you, you know who's coming and you know what he's bringing. And instead of investing in people enjoying and understanding all the wherewithals about Star Wars and the Matrix and this, that, and the other, or the Cardinals, or the Cowboys, which would be a short conversation, start telling them about what's eternally important, which is that they have a father who's long-suffering, sent his son to die for them while they were still in their sins, and he is coming back and what we are attached to will eventually burn but if we're attached to him that is eternal and does not fade away let's pray father in jesus name we thank you as you have called each and every one of us as sheep and soldiers sons and daughters lord help us to live according to your call live according to what you are creating us to be not just towards man and creation, but also reflecting that back towards you. And Lord, let us be looking forward, hastening the day when you return and sharing not only that joy, but that urgency with the very people around us, the one thing that has eternal consequence and that is living with you in righteousness and holiness and true joy or rejecting that righteousness, joy, holiness, and fellowship, and dying a second death. Lord, help us to be your servants, ever vigilant with our focus on you and sharing your light with this world that you have put us in. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand? If you make a New Year's resolution, do not think that I am saying that that's a bad idea. <laughs> it might not be kept, 
but bodily exercise verily profits a little, but godliness with contentment is great gain. While you are making resolutions on going to the gym more, for not beating up or threatening Sekou if he's late with his article, also, <laughs> picking on John, also, Start sitting down with God, and it doesn't matter what day or time it is or if it's January 1st. Say, Lord, where is it that I need to get back into my vigilance with you? Where is it that I have lost areas of fellowship, and how do I get that back? Help me, Lord, to get back to a point where instead of just coasting along, I am actually a burning inferno ready to proclaim your goodness and glory. Because that is what we were created for. Let's all lift our hands for the benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, amen. God bless you. Happy New Year.